God, we're grateful to gather this morning, and Lord, what a sweet time of worship that was, uh, just praising you. Um, Lord, you are great, and Father, I pray this morning as we read your word, and we're just together to encourage one another in our faith, that Lord, we would just be awestruck of how holy and majestic and great you are. And Lord, I pray as we get into your word, that as we read it, as we try to understand it, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us in our hearts, illuminate our hearts to have a greater understanding of your word than, than we had when we walked in. And I pray through your word, Lord, that you would build our faith up, that you would encourage us, that we would walk out of here more in love with you, with a bigger view of who you are. And Lord, I pray that as we study these two scriptures in 2 Kings and 1 Timothy, that Lord, you would give us a posture of humility and faith as we think about your word and its role in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, after what happened on Thursday night... You know, I said to myself, man, I, we, I, got, I have to figure out a way for that to be a sermon intro, just as a way of celebration. I don't know, do you, are you aware of what happened on Thursday night? Anyone? Please, thank you. Yes. Stanley Cup champions, the first major sports championship in this city in over a quarter century. All right, that was... That was big, all right? That was big for our city, so it was, it was very exciting for me. And so, yes, thank you, thank you. Some energy. But you know what? As I was, I was watching it on Thursday night, I was just thinking, man, there's two great stories here, right? The first story is, uh, man, just this city, just longing for a championship for, for so long. So, I mean, just all the people downtown, the parade on Tuesday is going to be huge. I'm going to be in Dallas. I'm really bummed for that. But, uh, man, just how our city just longed for a championship. And if you're not a sports fan, just bear with us for a second as we just get this out. Uh, the second thing is uh, Alex Ovechkin, uh, our captain of the team, probably the best player in hockey over the last decade. And just all of his hard work and all of his perseverance and, and just seeing the elation on his face when he was lifting that cup. I just thought it was a cool moment to watch him, to see how excited, really his posture towards the reality of he finally accomplished the goal that he was trying to accomplish. It's been a long time here in D.C. since we've celebrated one of our sports teams in this way. And when you go so long without something and you finally experience it again, I think it can be overwhelming, the magnitude of it. I mean, the, just think about this. The image of tens of thousands of people in downtown D.C. as we saw through this Stanley Cup, all right, not there because they were angry, right? Not there because they were protesting something. I mean, they're giving each other hugs and high fives and dancing and all of this stuff. That's a rare image in Washington, D.C., and so it's just special to see it. And as I figure out a really a way to try to pivot from that to uh, God's word. I think I found a way. <laughs> because I was actually reminded, in all seriousness, I was thinking about it, I, I was reminded of a similar moment in the scriptures with King Josiah in 2 Kings 22. Uh, just to remind you, King Josiah, he was a king over Judah 
which was the southern kingdom. So after Solomon, King Solomon, Israel split into two kingdoms, north and south. And King Josiah was one of the kings of the southern kingdom in Judah. And, and during Judah's reign, I'm sorry, Josiah's reign, he discovers something that has been missing from the kingdom for generations. They had been without it for generations. And when he finally is in possession of this thing that he discovers, it is completely overwhelming to him. Uh, We began a sermon series last week called The Word of God, where we're diving into the doctrine of the Word of God, and we want to ask important questions. What is the Bible? Why do I need the Bible? Can I trust the Bible? How do I read the Bible? These are things we want to dive into over the summer. And last week, we started the series by talking about how God designed us as his creation to need his word. That he designed us that we need special revelation from God to know who we are and who God is and how we relate to God. We need to hear from God in order to know those things. Without the word of God, we are left in the dark. Uh, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And this week... I get a bonus week, right? Wasn't planning on preaching this week. And so next week I was planning on uh, and still preparing for preaching on the inerrancy of Scripture. So the fact that we believe that God's word is without error. So we're going to talk about that next week. So I get a bonus week this week. And I felt like the Lord was compelling me to talk to us about our posture towards God's word. How do we approach God's word? What kind of authority do we give God's word over our life? When we hear and receive the word of God, what is our posture? Because the thing that King Josiah discovered that was missing from his kingdom for probably more than 75 years was the word of God. And I want all of us to observe. I just want us to take a look at King Josiah's posture and his response when he encounters God's word, which had been missing from the kingdom for so long. And so let's let's read that. 2 Kings 22, some quick context for you. Uh, King Josiah became king over Judah about uh, 628 BC. He was eight years old when he became king. All right, And the thing with Josiah is he was preceded by several evil kings, kings who were not after the heart of God. They did not lead Judah to follow God or his word. And so basically uh, these kings really allowed the temple of God to be desecrated and it was in disrepair and paganism came in. And so the previous kings before Josiah were bad, bad kings, but Josiah was different. He was a godly king who desired to return Judah back to faithfulness. And so here's the context of exactly what we're going to read. In Josiah's 18th year of his reign, so he was maybe 26 years old at the time, he had ordered that the temple be restored, that they repair it, that they get all of the stuff that they brought into the temple that God had not allowed in. They get that out. They clean it up. They make sure it is to the standard that God had commanded it to be. And so they could continue to restore worship in the temple. So Josiah makes this command to clean up the temple. And in the midst of cleaning up the temple, the priest, Hilkiah, 
find something. So let's read this. 2 Kings 22, starting in verse 8. It says, And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So just real quick, wrap your mind around this. You're commanded to go to the temple, start cleaning it up. We need to restore this back to how the Lord commanded. That's what they're doing. If you go to 2 Chronicles 34, we get another account of this story. And one of the things we learn there is that they had grabbed this box that was filled with silver coins. And they were going through that box and buried in that box under a bunch of silver coins was the word. It was the book of the law, and they find it. And so you could imagine, you know, you're digging through it. I don't know if you've been exposed to the law yet, if you, whoever it is that's digging through this box. And you bring out this book. It looks important. Maybe you have to blow off the dust. And you bring it over to the priest. Look what I found. What do we do with this? And they begin to read it. So just put yourself in that moment. Verse 9. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king. This is Josiah. And reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, this is Josiah. He tore his clothes. Jump down to verse 16 with me. Thus says the Lord, this is God's response to what is happening, them discovering the law. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon the inhabitants all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, to Josiah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart, Josiah, was penitent. And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. So you have this powerful king over the kingdom of Judah. Someone who commands armies. And upon hearing the word of God read aloud, maybe for the first time, I'm not sure, can't say. What posture does this powerful king immediately take? I mean, he tears his clothes. He puts his face into the ground. He humbles himself under the word of God. Uh, my family and I, we used to have a dog. It was a Rhodesian Ridgeback. 
And Rhodesian Ridgebacks are very strong-willed dogs. We don't have this dog anymore. And every once in a while, to get this dog under control, I had to make my voice get real aggressive and real powerful. And when I would do that, the dog's posture would change. Her head would sink low. Her eyes would get big. Her ears would sink back. And as I approached her, she would get on her back and lay on her back, right? Her posture changed. She, what is she communicating to me? You're the boss, right? right? You have authority over me. I'm, I'm humbling myself underneath you. This was King Josiah at the reading of the word of God. God, I, I don't rule this land. Your word rules it. And we have ignored it for generations, The only response I have is to get my face to the ground in humility. It's the only proper response. And when God responds to this discovery of the word, he responds harshly. We see God declare that he's going to bring judgment on Judah for ignoring his word. And listen, all God is doing here, he is saying that he's going to do Exactly what he said he was going to do. If you go to Deuteronomy 28, which would have been included in this book of the law that they discovered in the temple, what God does in Deuteronomy 28 is he makes it very clear. Here are the list of blessings that you will experience if you follow the law. And then here are the list of curses that you will endure if you ignore my Law And God says in Deuteronomy 28, one of those curses, if you ignore my law, is I'm going to send an enemy nation into you to conquer you and carry you out of exile. I'm going I'm to boot you out of the promised land. And if you keep reading in your Bible, we learn that eventually the Babylonians come under King Nebuchadnezzar. We studied it several weeks ago. And they carry the Israelites into exile under the judgment of God. But in our text this morning, God takes notice of Josiah's posture towards his word. And he says, because you humbled yourself, because you realize the magnitude of the fact that this kingdom has ignored God's word for generations, because that was your posture, I am going to spare you from that judgment. Your eyes will not see it. Right? It's safe to say that King Josiah is an example to us about the posture that God expects us as his creation to have towards his word. Nick read that for us in Nehemiah uh, in our call to worship. After they were sent into exile, God then allowed them to come back. They're rebuilding the city and they bring out the word of God so all can hear. And what did the text say they did? They put their faces into the ground. God's word is being read. This is the kind of posture that God expects us to have towards his word. And I want to contrast that. I want to contrast what we see from King Josiah here in 2 Kings 22 to some of those who belonged to a church in Ephesus. So if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, what we see in this letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a church in, well, to Timothy, who was inside a church in Ephesus, we see a picture of a different posture when it comes to God's word. 
I want you to see this. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 to 7. I'll turn there real quick. Look at the words of the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy, who is a pastor that he's training up. So Paul says, verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus in this church, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, all right, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. All right, So here in verse 4, Paul immediately demonstrates to us two different kinds of postures towards God's word. There are some who teach things that are contrary to the word of God and they promote speculations. Uh, They are forming theories about what the word of God says without firm evidence. In essence, their posture towards God's word is to stand over it. Then there are those who, Paul says, are good stewards by faith of the word of God. They have the same posture as Josiah. Uh, I sit under the word, and when I am knowledgeable of the word, I understand that I now need to be a steward, a good steward of that knowledge and teach it appropriately. So go to verse 5. Paul says to Timothy, the aim of our charge is love. A love of God. We want this church to have a love of God. Greatest commandment, right? And that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these things, right? A pure heart, a good conscience, sincere faith, have wandered away into vain discussion. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. In verse 5, Paul gives us three different indicators of our posture towards God's word. A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And in verses 6 to 7, he says that when we are missing one or more of these indicators, when we swerve from them, we are susceptible to mishandling the word of God. We are susceptible to speculations, to vain discussions, to wrong doctrine. It probably means that our posture towards the word of God is that we see ourselves over the word of God. And so what I want us to do this morning and the rest of our time is I want us to think deeply about these three indicators of our posture towards the word of God. When we have these things in our life, we probably approach God's word like Josiah, humbling ourselves underneath it. And if we are missing some of these, it might mean, it might mean that we are approaching God's word like those in the church in Ephesus, standing over it. So let's just work through these three indicators of our posture towards God's word. So the first one we get in verse 5 is a pure heart. Uh, Anytime you hear the Bible talk about the heart, it's referring to your real self, uh, our real motivations, our real thoughts. It's the part of us that generates the true reason behind all of our thoughts and behaviors. All right, so when Paul refers here to a pure heart, he is referring to having pure motivations, all right? We all know what it means to have a pure heart. 
okay, if I go buy my wife flowers and I'm simply doing it just because I love her, nothing other, no other reason, right? I just want to express my love to my wife and that's the only reason I'm giving her flowers, then I have a pure heart, right? But if I buy my wife flowers because I'm trying to soften the mood so I can ask her for something or whatever it is, well, that's not a pure heart, right? I have an agenda. The flowers are just kind of a, a part of the scheme, okay? That's not a pure heart. So we all get it. We all get what a pure heart is. And so when it comes to having a pure heart in regards to God's word, the question we must ask is, do we approach God's word because this is special revelation from God, and I want to know God, I want to love him, I want to obey his word, I want to know who I am, right? So I'm, I'm approaching God's word with this humility of you decide what is true and good, and so I want to receive that. Or do we have a different agenda attached when we go to God's word? Because if there's any agenda that we have for studying God's word other than worshiping him as God, then that will affect our posture towards God's word. If we are using God's word for our own purposes and not God's purposes, then we're not sitting under God's word. We're over it. So here in 1 Timothy 1, one of the motivations that these people had in this church, it, it says in verse 7, is that they desired to be teachers. They wanted to be teachers of the law. That's what it says in verse 7. And so they wanted to study the scriptures, maybe come up with these speculations or these myths and maybe these wild theories that no one else has come up with before. And, and since they were teaching these speculations and myths, maybe they could claim, hey, I've discovered something new or I'm teaching something that nobody else is teaching. They could distinguish themselves. It certainly doesn't seem that their heart was pure like the heart of Josiah who when he is confronted with God's word, he goes down. He doesn't speculate. He submits. These guys in Ephesus, they wanted to use God's word to create a platform for themselves. You know, I think there's a challenge in here for us. You know, with, I was thinking about this. With the rise of smartphones and social media and the fact that we all have cameras in our pockets, right, we... We've become trained to see every significant moment or profound thought in our life as something that must be captured and shared, right? Instead of these moments, cherishing these moments in our life, we must let other, others know that we had these moments. And this isn't all bad. I'm not saying it's all bad, but I think maybe this has seeped into our spiritual lives a little bit where our study of the scriptures, our thoughts, our profound moments, aren't sufficient to be just between God and myself. I must let others know that I had such a profound moment. I, we all want to be seen as spiritually mature, right? We all want others to think of us as well-read and faithful and consistent. I, I want you to think that of me. But is it possible that our hearts aren't pure in our approach to God's word because we want to use it to influence what others think of us? Is it possible we are more concerned about display than we are devotion? Maybe for some of us, we don't use God's word in, in that way. Maybe another way that we approach the word with a heart that is not pure is by reading it with the aim of finding loopholes. 
John Newton once said, read the, I love this quote, read the scripture, not as an attorney may read a will, but as the heir reads it. Like a lawyer is looking for technicalities, we can sometimes look to the word to find excuses for our behavior or to try and find the boundaries that we can press up against before we actually like dip into the realm of sin or, or maybe inconsistencies so we can challenge or criticize God's word. Right, this kind of approach to the Bible doesn't mirror that of Josiah. This, this kind of approach would indicate that we see the Bible as a book to be mastered, not special revelation from our God. I love that charge. Read the Bible like an heir reads a will, expectantly, wanting to hear from God. When we read the scripture like an attorney, we place ourselves over the word of God, but when we read it like an heir, we read it like a child listens to his or her parents, giving instructions and trusting them. How would you evaluate your heart as you approach God's word. The second one, a second indicator of our posture towards God's word is a good conscience. Uh, the conscience is defined as the inward faculty of distinguishing right and wrong. Uh, but innate within this word is, this word conscience, the, is how one distinguishes between right and wrong. The, the Greek word for conscience carries the literal meaning of Joint knowledge. Joint knowledge, right? And to quote Brian Chappell, commentator on this, he says, in biblical culture, this word meant the sense of one's moral actions as part of a group. The good conscience sensed inner moral approval from God and God's people. A key to having a good conscience when it comes to how we think about the Bible is by studying the Bible in community and allowing our thoughts about the Bible to be sharpened by our community, not to do it in isolation. Right, when we begin to read the Bible and formulate thoughts and doctrines and speculations, and we're unwilling to allow those speculations to be corrected, scrutinized by our community, then we are not reading the Bible with a good conscience. It might be an indicator that we have placed ourselves over the word and not under it. It's critical uh, that every week when I teach from this pulpit that I teach with a good conscience. And I do for two reasons. Number one, I always make sure that the assertions I make about the word of God are backed up by good, trusted, scholarly resources. Right? I'm not comfortable with just relying on my own thoughts when it comes to teaching in the Bible. I want to be in good company what I teach. Okay, but here's really the second reason why I teach with a good conscience. It's because at this church, we have five elders, five pastors, five people who are charged with the ministry of the word of God in this church just as much as I am, even though I do most of the preaching. And their job is to make sure that as said in this pulpit is sound doctrine. And if it's not, their job is to make sure it gets corrected, right? So even in the pulpit and the teaching, we can do it in a good conscience because there's a community that is making sure that we are within sound doctrine and teaching God's word correctly. So I always preach with a good conscience because we strive for what is, ta to, for what is taught here to always pass the test of approval from God, but approval from God's people, 
In 2 Kings 22, after Josiah heard the word of God read, all right, after he tore his clothes and humbled himself before the Lord, you know what he did? I skipped over these verses earlier when we read it. Let me go back. 2 Kings 22, verses 12 to 14. Look at what he did. So verse 11 says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. But look at this. Verse 12, and the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahakam the son of Shaphan, Achbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Asiah the king's servant, saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the word of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Verse 14, so Hilkiah the priest and Ahakam and Achbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Haras, keeper of the word. I have no idea if I pronounced those all right. But what's, what's the point? All right, the key is confidence, right? When you're reading the Bible, just confidently say it and everyone assumes you did it right. Right, but what's the point? Look at all the people involved when it comes to determining the will of God. Josiah didn't do it on his own. Look at all the people he brought into the circle. Let's go inquire of the Lord for his will because we just received his word. We've ignored it for generations. And when we have a posture of being underneath the word of God, we are motivated to seek a good conscience about the word by allowing our thoughts about the word to be tested in community. Lastly, third indicator that we get when it comes to our posture towards the word of God is a sincere faith. When Paul refers to a sincere faith, he is talking about the exact thing that James is referring to when he says faith without works is dead. A sincere faith is a faith where we not only say with our mouths that we believe in God, but our lives display it. Our works back up that reality. Right? We don't have sincere faith when we say we have faith, but our lives do not display it. And the scriptures have a lot to say about the way that we should live. And so I think one of the most obvious indicators of our posture towards God's word is how seriously we take obeying his word. Uh, back in the kingdom of Judah, most people did not take obeying God's word seriously, except Josiah. Most of them had even heard from God's word. And we know that Josiah took it seriously because of his reaction when he heard the word of God read. But when we think about our own lives, and we think about some of these commands that God gives us, um, like Ephesians 5, 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking to come out of your mouth. Is that an instruction from God that we are sincere about putting into practice? I think this is one of those verses that just in our culture and society we've become lax on. Like we say we believe and live by God's word, but the Christian who really is sincere about making the only thing that comes out of his mouth something that builds up others is considered to be the weird one, not the normal one. Or I think of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 18, which tells us flee sexual immorality. I mean, literally the, the imagery of that verse is run away from it as fast as you can. 
yeah, when I look at the church, it's become completely normal. Uh, the church at large, it's become completely normal to, to watch movies and TV shows with sexually explicit content, right? Especially now with streaming where companies like HBO and Netflix can get away with stuff you can't put on live TV. And we justify it because we love the shows. But God's word says you just run away from that. That is dangerous for your soul. I am telling you that because I love you. I want your joy to be complete. And so run away from that and I wonder if we're sincere about God's word when it comes to that. Do we believe it is true and good? And so I just use these two quick examples, right? Just a simple examples of how when we identify areas of our faith that we may not be sincere about, we discover where our posture towards God's word is one of standing over it. I'm not going to take that seriously versus standing under it. I desire, and I know you have a desire to have the kind of reverence for God's word like Josiah. Humbling ourselves underneath it. No agenda. Not trying to find loopholes or technicalities. Not reading in isolation. Taking it all sincerely as the word of God. So let me ask, where where are you this morning? How would you evaluate your posture towards God's word? But let me say, having a humble posture towards God's word does not mean you can't ask difficult questions of God's word. This is why we're doing this series. We want to answer some difficult questions about God's word. I, I think it is good to wrestle with hard questions about the word of God, but I think we can do that with a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. You know why Paul is so concerned Uh, about false teachers in that church in Ephesus and the risk of wrong doctrine and speculation starting to get around. Because it is, this is, because Paul knows and he's trying to teach this church that the word of God, it is the word of God that teaches us the way to life and salvation in Christ. Second Kings, Josiah and the people, they had the law. They had the law. And the law was clear about the blessings that you'll experience if you follow it and the curses you'll endure if you don't. But as we're going to learn in this series, we're going to preach on this, the scripture unfolds on itself. A story begins to emerge. A narrative comes out that culminates in Jesus Christ. And the message that Paul and the early church was charged to preach faithfully was that the law that Josiah had was not sufficient to save us from sin. We deserve the curses of the law. What the law shows us is when I read that and I get to Deuteronomy 28, I say I deserve the curses, not the blessings. But as scripture unfolds, we learn that God sends a savior, Jesus, who lives his life worthy of the blessings. He lives his life, and and as he gets to Deuteronomy 28, he goes, blessings. That's what my life is worth. That's that's what I live. I, I deserve the blessings. For obeying the law. We deserve curses. Jesus deserves blessings. But it gets switched. God gives us the blessings of Jesus' righteousness. And Jesus takes the curses that we deserve. And he takes them to the cross. 
right? This is the gospel. It unfolds through the scriptures. And if we don't humble ourselves underneath the word of God, we just might miss the greatest, most life-transforming news that is contained in it. If we read the scriptures like an attorney, we might miss all that has been left to us as heirs. Let me pray for us. God, my prayer this morning is that, Lord, you indeed would reveal to every single one of us the riches of your word. That, Lord, as we go into your word, we get the answers to our greatest questions. You tell us who we are. You tell us who you are. You tell us why you created us. You tell us where our joy is found. And so, Lord, I pray that as a church, Lord, we would encourage one another to have a posture of sitting underneath your word, not because it's overbearing, not because it's bad news, but, Lord, because it is good news. It's where our joy is found. Lord, it goes against our sinful nature, but, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would give us a posture of humility before your word. Pray that we would see it as good and right and true. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a pure heart as we approach your word. And you would give us a good conscience. And that, Lord, you would help us as a church to keep each other within the bounds of right doctrine. And we wouldn't swerve from it. And we would listen to our brothers and sisters when they seek to keep us centered. And Lord, give us a sincere faith, believing that your word is good, even when maybe we don't understand parts of it. Help us to read it sincerely. And Lord, above all, help us, Lord, to believe what is written in it about Jesus. And that, Lord, we would indeed read in that word that our life and our salvation are found in Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we ask as we end this time singing to you that you would be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.